the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. It's 4 o'clock. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. That means you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions or pretty much anything you might be struggling with. We have some good questions that have been sent in, uh, but we always love your phone calls. You can call us by dialing 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 or toll free. You can call 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, I want you to be safe. Use the free KSLR mobile app and hit the call now button. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Because it's Tuesday, we don't have a lot going on. Ladies, I hope you were able to get here last night or uh, at least watch the live stream for Phyllis MacArthur's Sweet Summer Devotion. I actually have a question that was sent in because of it, so I'll lead off with that one, but uh, you can go to calvaryessay.com and watch uh, Sweet Summer Devotion. It looks like I think we only have one more Sweet Summer Devotion left. Um, and that's uh, going to be this coming Monday, and then we're done for the summer. Don't miss it. Um, you will be blessed. Let's get right to the questions. Here is the one I told you about anonymously. It says, I listened to the sweet summer devotion message last night. I am in an abusive relationship and want to leave, but have no idea where I would go. Isn't it better to stay so the kids have some stability, even if it means I suffer abuse. Uh, anonymous, a couple of things. First, uh, just by way of general explanation for the audience, uh, part of uh, Phyllis's testimony last night in Sweet Summer Devotions was that she was involved in, in an abusive marriage. Um, those are never easy situations. They're heartbreaking. They, they cause more damage and destruction than we can possibly imagine. But for you, Anonymous, it's never, ever better to stay. Um, God loves you, and he loves your kids more than, more than you do, even. Um, he would never have you stay in a situation where physically you were in danger. Additionally, this isn't a, 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 an atmosphere, an environment that you want your kids to grow up in. It's such a hard thing. Kids need to watch moms and dads learn how to relate to one another. Uh, I I tell our men all the time that their sons are learning how to become godly husbands and their daughters, God forbid, in some cases, are learning what kind of man to pick by watching their father. The best thing a father can do for his children is to cherish his children's mother. No, that's not the situation you're in. So in your situation, Anonymous, the best thing you can do is to 
show your children that they have a mom that trusts the Lord. The Jesus you've been telling them about, the Jesus that that um, has rescued you from hell. Show them that you trust him. But it's not better to say, don't let your earthly fears get in the way of doing what you know God wants you to do. To be in a physically abusive relationship, to be in any kind of abusive relationship is horrible. But when you are in a place where you're being beat, your children are aware of that, it's an untenable place to be. So please, please, please leave. This will give you the opportunity yourself to see how much God loves you. You need only to trust him. It's amazing to me, sometimes anonymous, that we have people that will trust God for their eternal salvation, but won't trust him for tomorrow or today. And this is an opportunity for you to depend only on Jesus. Now, I hope you're a part of a healthy church. If you are, your church will help you. If your church won't help you, then contact us here at Calvary Chapel. We will help you. We actually have a ministry that's sort of dedicated to that. We don't always have room in that ministry right away, but we will help you. Because staying in an abusive relationship is one of the most dangerous places that you can be. You don't deserve it. God doesn't want you to be there. He doesn't want you to martyr yourself for the sake of the kids. You and your children need to leave, and you need to leave now. This never gets better. It only gets worse. And so now is the time where you can exercise your faith a little bit. Will you be afraid? Of course you will. But you really don't have any choice. So please, please, please leave. Go to your church. If there's no one there that will help you, you can call us. Go to calvaryessay.com. You can get all the information, contact, where we're located, anything else. But, but, but that's what your church is for. Now, if your husband is also a professing believer, and he's part of the church then you need to go to your pastor and tell him what your husband's doing. Because your husband needs help as well. Now, that's not to keep you together. Before, if, if, if I was your pastor, before I ever would say you need to stay with your husband, it would only be after a very, very long time where we've seen demonstrable changes in his behavior. And when I say a very long time, I'm not talking about a week or a month. I'm talking in years where we can see the transformative power of God alive in his life, where we no longer have any fear, where you no longer have any more fear. Then hopefully God can one day put this back together. But in the situation you're in, you really, really need to run. Uh, I'm sure Phyllis would be happy to talk with you. We have other women who have been through the same situation. Probably more of them than I care to know about. But see, God is a redeeming God. And He wants you in a safe place with Him. So I'm going to ask you, please, go find some help. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That was not the first question that we had, but it was important enough today I wanted to bump it right to the top. Here is another anonymous question. that This was the first one I had. I thought I'd get to it yesterday and didn't. Um, it's just sort of funny to me. Um, I came to your church, and it was very crowded. Have you thought about having a Saturday service that might not be so crowded or adding a fourth service? I loved the service, but it was really full. Also, your greeting time lasted longer than any church I've ever been to. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because we get this all the time. Um, a, a couple of things. Uh, first, Paula will not let me have a Saturday service. I'm 100 years old. And a Wednesday night, a Friday night, and three Sundays is plenty for this pastor. So you know what we're going to do and what we've always done? We've simply said, you know what, Lord? Um, you can bring the people to the church that you want here. And we are crowded. I will say this, Anonymous, we do have some room in our third service on Sundays. It's 1159 service. Um, we do have some room there. Uh, most of the time, there's some squeeze-in room in first service. Um, but, but it sounds like you came to second service, and lots of times it's standing room only. Um, we just don't have a big facility. I wish we did, but we don't. Um, the Lord's made it very clear that we're not to, to mortgage anything. So uh, our money is the Lord's money. He wants it spent on ministry. So we're kind of stuck here unless God does something pretty spectacular. Um, the other thing, full services present a real opportunity to minister to people as well as to be ministered to by other people. When you walk into a full place, you introduce yourself to someone. I know it can be uncomfortable. I know there's people that don't like crowds around them or they'd rather sit in a place that's half empty because it's just more comfortable. But we need to get over that. Because in a full room, there's a lot of people that really need what God has prepared you to provide. There are likewise a lot of people that God will bring alongside you. You just have to take a step of faith and introduce yourself and and uh, don't be so stick to your selfish. So yeah, we're crowded. Thank you for loving the service. Um, but it's really important that you are involved in the church. You know, what we do here at Calvary Chapel is exactly the opposite, and, and none of this is intentional. But, but it's exactly the opposite of what church growth experts and church marketing companies tell you to do. It's, if your church is over 75% full, they say, then you're too full and you're chasing people away. Um, we can't help it. We're pretty well maxed out. So um, come, enjoy the people. That's the best thing about our church. This weekend, I actually had um, a couple radio listeners and a bunch of other people who were here for the very first time uh, come up and want to introduce themselves to me. Uh, and they had a blast. And I tell everybody, just please don't be shy. These people, and I point to the people that are always in the place, sort of fellowshipping. I said, this is the best part of our church. So don't miss out on what they have to offer. And um, you've got to experience that for yourself. Now let me talk about the greeting time for a moment. Because we're always on a very tight time schedule. Um, I try to preach on Sunday mornings for 40 minutes. And uh, usually I go a little bit longer than that. And I don't want to nor mean to. It's just the way it is. We have four songs of worship on Sunday mornings because of time constraints. I wish we had time for five. Uh, we have an announcer who seems to be an expert at taking longer than the time he's given. But the idea is we want this to be a fun place. We want it to be a warm place. We don't want it to be stuffy. We don't want it to be... So at the end of the second worship song, when our worship pastor closes out with a prayer, He'll say something like, go ahead and greet one another. And, and, and we want to do that. It's very important to us to be warm and welcoming. And we take a full five minutes and people are all over the sanctuary. It's not just turn around and greet the person behind you or in front of you. Um, it, it, we really want people to step out of the aisles and get to know one another. Uh, the people who come here to Calvary Chapel, they really love coming. Uh, and I, I don't, I'm, I'm unwilling to sacrifice that time. We actually got a, a, a review. I don't know whether it was Google or Yelp or something. We had a review that somebody drew my attention to. 
and and the review said along among other things was was that boy these people are serious about their greeting time and pretty much that's what you said as well uh we that's just something i don't want to change i want this to be a a fun place um and not a and i don't mean this in a disrespectful way but not a churchy place I want this to be a place where you can come and you can be real and you can find people who are real. Um, so we're going to continue to do that. So Anonymous, thank you for uh, for visiting. I hope you come back. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Bob asks, is Genesis a true story or is it a, or is it a narrative designed to communicate truth? Please answer, as this is very important to me. Uh, Bob, it's important to everybody. If Genesis is only a narrative designed to communicate truth, if it's not a real and historical story, if it is not an accurate historical story, then we're all lost. So Genesis is true, it is historical, it is accurate. Adam and Eve were the very first human beings that ever populated this earth, not our Neanderthal supposed ancestors, Adam and Eve, they were created on the sixth day, just as Genesis said, and from Adam and Eve, and later from Noah and his family, we all come from them. Now, here's why I said that if it's not a true story, we're all lost. If it's not true, Jesus lied to us. If Jesus lied to us, he's not God. If he's not God, of course, then there was no sacrifice for sins. You see, these aren't just theoretical things. I want you to consider for a moment, Bob. Jesus said in the beginning, it was God having one man, one woman. Conversation, Matthew chapter 19, was about divorce. Jesus affirmed that Adam and Eve were the first humans. He affirmed that that's God's plan for marriage. Now, if Genesis isn't a true historical story, then Jesus lied. If Jesus lied again, he's not qualified to sacrifice for sins. He's just another false religious leader. The whole book of Romans means absolutely nothing if our federal head, Adam, was not the first. The representative of mankind, that's what Adam means, mankind. If he wasn't the first Adam, then it means Jesus wasn't the second Adam who promised life. So these are more important in terms of, of, of the issues than even you know, Bob. And this is one of the things. You can take my word for it, but it would be much better for you if you would just really dig in and let the Holy Spirit convince you. Get a concordance. You've got a Bible study program, probably. Look at the meaning of the Hebrew words. A day. That Hebrew word is used only to describe a 24-hour day. The morning and the evening. The evening and the morning is is the way it's expressed in, in Genesis. So the whole point is, if it's not true, we're lost. If there wasn't a real flood, Noah was vindicated, validated by Jesus. If there wasn't a worldwide flood that wiped out everybody living on the face of the earth... We're talking billions of people. Then Jesus lied. So these are really important things for us to understand. Jesus, this isn't Genesis, but Jesus validated the story of Noah, of uh, uh, Jonah that, that everybody makes fun of. Cynics and skeptics, oh, you don't really believe there was a man who was swallowed by a fish? Yeah, we do. Jesus did too. And used it as a very specific reference to communicate a point that he was teaching. So if it's not true, we're all lost. If the first 11 chapters of Genesis are not literal, 
every major doctrine of the New Testament Christian church falls apart. If the table of nations in Genesis isn't true, we have no explanation for the different races of people, the different languages. So these are decisions that you've got to come to. You've got to come to these conclusions on your own, and you've got to be personally and internally convinced. And then once convinced, it's not something you can ever shake. I know that's what the cynics are, have always tried to do. Um, oh, do you really believe? That was the first lie of the devil. Did God really say? Well, we've got to settle that issue in our hearts and minds once and forever, Bob. Because if we don't, how are we going to take a stand in a world that's trying to convince us that this whole Jesus thing isn't real in the first place? So don't ever sell out the Bible, God's Word, that was left for us. It's there because we need it. It's there because it provides security. So Bob, settle it. Let's go to Jim calling on line one from San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, thanks for taking the call. Um, question, I heard someone say, I uh, just thought maybe you could respond to it. It says, if you're a believer, you have no reason to fear because you are indestructible until the Lord is ready to take you home. <laughs> could you comment on that, please? Yeah, yeah, I can. You know, Jim, I guess theoretically... Um, the statement is true, but it, it disregards our human condition. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to be undergoing surgery next week, a week from today, in fact, and and I, I'm very secure in my position in Christ. I want to see Jesus more than I want to take my next breath. Uh, to be with him is the goal of my salvation. That's what Peter tells us in his epistle. So... Um, um, Having said all that, having, I hope, demonstrated that, that I'm pretty faithful and I have a lot of faith, I'm still scared. Yeah. I think we're programmed with this instinct to live. And, and if, we were, if we didn't have to be afraid, if Jesus didn't know our condition, why would he say over and over and over, not just him saying it, but when the angels would visit there, they would say, do not be afraid. So the, the fact that we, we are fearful, it's just part of our human condition. And I think it, it gets really close, Jim, to Sony, sort of phony spirituality when we try to tell people, oh, you don't need to be afraid because we're invincible until God's done with us. Um, but that doesn't set aside the fact that we are afraid. Now, yeah. here's, I think, our proper response to it. Um, when I'm afraid, I trust in him. It doesn't take away my fear. It just means I trust in Him. When I'm afraid, that's why I need faith. I tell our church here, Jim, all the time that faith is the antidote to fear. It doesn't take fear away. It just means that we're not paralyzed by that fear. We continue to walk with Jesus in spite of being afraid. And certainly Jesus isn't disappointed. You know, He says, do not be afraid. Well, the problem is we're afraid. He knew that. Over and over and over, he told his followers, do not be afraid. And yet they were. So too will we be. So I think we have to be careful about sounding super spiritual. Uh, God knows the day I'm going to die. He knows the, 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 the time. He knows all of the circumstances. He doesn't share that with us. Yeah. And frankly, Jim, I think if he did share it with me, I wouldn't be any more thrilled about dying. I, I want to live. I want to live with Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. Um, and, and as far as I'm concerned, he can just sort of shut me out of the whole process of telling me when it's going to happen. Uh, I know when God's done with me, uh, I'll be ready to go. Um, but if I'm still physically able and conscious, I'll still be fearful because death is the unknown. And again, for emphasis, there is, I think, an intrinsic tension between wanting to die and be with Jesus and being afraid to die. Yeah, I want to be with Jesus, but I'm afraid to die. Paul had that. The Apostle Paul, who had been to heaven, he said in his letter to Second Corinthians, he said that, that there are times when he was despairing even of life. 
And yet he'd been to heaven and knew that to, to die and be with Christ is better by far. So that's just, I, I think, our biology. It's our psychology. And I think um, it's one of the reasons why we pray so hard, Jim, for the rapture of the church. We want Jesus to come for us all at the same time. Um, but but when we're afraid, just don't get paralyzed by your fear. Keep following Jesus. Does that help? That's good. That's a good answer. Could I also ask, because, um, you know, I know you're making some lifestyle choices that are going to promote health and so am I and others, too. So, so really realistically speaking, I, I could shorten my day of death if I just make some poor lifestyle choices. Like, or sure. Yeah, I, I think, Jim, Jim if, if we're bad stewards of the body that God has given us, um, you know, um, here's, here's sort of my, my anthem. Uh, when, when I die, I don't want it to be my fault. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's really important. We, we have to be good stewards of our body, uh, and then we can leave it in Jesus' hand. Jim, we're at the break. Um, hang on, because don't have to hang on the phone, but listen, I'll kind of deal with it just a little bit more on the other side of the break. Okay. We've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes. to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Let me finish my comment to Jim because I think um, these are important things. You know, um, uh, too often... Uh, we who are physically lazy or spiritually lazy, we take the approach that, well, God knows when I'm going to die, so it doesn't matter what I do. It does. It does. We have the responsibility of being good stewards. I tell our church all the time, you can't serve Jesus if you're dead. Um, so we have to have a sense of responsibility and accountability to do the best we can with what we've got. Now, if I do everything that I can, and in the process um, something happens and I get sick and I die, uh, I'm not going to have to explain that to Jesus. I'm not going to have to apologize for it. Now, if I spend uh, my time uh, eating too much, drinking too much, smoking too much, if I never get out and exercise, um, uh, you, you know, it, it's like, Where's the gratitude for what God has given us, the opportunity to to be here? Now, I understand there are people that struggle with these things, but everybody, and and I'm sure God is the same here, but we're not talking about how you look, but we're talking about how you feel, how healthy you are. And everybody can be healthy by doing some basic things. These bodies are created to move. They're not created to sit. I'm sitting in a chair now. I'm at my desk all day. If I don't get out and get some exercise, then how can I ask God for opportunities to use me if I'm not healthy enough to take advantage of those opportunities? So these are things that we have to be concerned about. Paul said physical exercise is of some value, relatively little value compared to spiritual exercise, but it still is valuable. So we need to make better choices. I'm not a super healthy eater. I don't eat a lot, but I'm not a super healthy eater. I don't like food that much. The food I like, I kind of stick to the same things. I could do better with what I ate, but I'm exercising and I'm doing at least I'm doing my part. In fact, when I pray with Paula, um, um, we just say, Lord, we're, we're doing our part, so the rest is up to you. And, and that's what I want to be able to say to him. So, Jim, I hope that that makes some sense to you and helps. Thanks yes, for sir. calling. Great answer. By the way, thank okay, you for thank uh, you. letting us know about your your uh, surgery coming up. Because I, you know, First Corinthians, First Timothy five seventeen says, "Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy, double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching." So, man, um, you know, I'm glad to pray for you. You know, whenever uh, thank 
you're taking that, just know that there's somebody else praying for you. But uh, yeah, I appreciate your serving our, our community. Uh, by the way, do you know anything about that uh, men's conference coming up seven, September 8th at your church? I don't know much about it. Yeah, but just... yeah uh, I'll, I'll be speaking at it for sure. Um, uh, my friend, um, uh, a church we planted actually uh, from Riverview Calvary Chapel, uh, Pastor Eddie called me one day and he said, you know, um, other areas have men's conferences. Why don't we do that? And uh, and I said, well, Ed, if you feel like God's putting that in your heart, let's do it. And he said, well, we don't have a place. Now, my sanctuary is not big, but it's the biggest one of all the Calvaries. So um, um, I said, well, you can use our place if you want to. So this is really his ministry. And there's going to be, um, I think it's six Calvary Chapel pastors, including me, who are each going to give a message that day. It starts uh, in the morning, 830 or 9 o'clock. Uh, we'll give more information as we get a little bit closer. Um, but uh, some of the churches uh, that will be represented here, I've planted from from our church. Some of the pastors uh, were, were, were men who started here, so they'll be here speaking. And it's always a good thing. So it'll be a, a morning to early afternoon thing, uh, and um, you'll be blessed. So I'll be speaking. I think I'm going to be the second speaker on that day so that's what we're planning on doing and you will be welcome and for those of you who are men who have responsible for kids we'll have some um, uh, child care available here as well so um, just enjoy it doesn't cost anything everything is free uh, but the word will go out six times super great all right thank Thank you Jim appreciate it God bless uh, I didn't plan on saying anything about my surgery till Monday of next week, actually. Uh, our church, of course, knows about it. But um, for those of you who who would love to pray, I'll take it. Um, um, a year ago, as most of you know, I uh, we went through a time where I had a really strange thing happen. A virus hit my heart and did some damage to the heart. Uh, I've never had any heart problems. It's just a real freak thing. And uh, had to have a pacemaker and a defibrillator put in. Well, now they're evidently after a little bit more than a year. There is some problems with the with the device. I'm feeling great and been exercising like crazy, so it's you know, been working a lot. So it's not uh, it's not a physical issue, but uh, they're going to have to replace the device. Uh, what that means is it's going to be a little bit more pain. I can't exercise uh, probably for five weeks. Um, so I would appreciate you, Burr. I'm not a, a huge pain guy, and uh, I don't sit still well. Um, I work, and I exercise, and Paul and I do stuff. We we want to serve the Lord. Uh, it should not, except for a couple of days, affect uh, the radio show. The radio show, I hope, will will uh, will have a couple of repeat broadcasts, but I'd be okay. Uh, it's supposed to be in one day and out the next day kind of thing. So uh, I would appreciate your prayers. And it's one of those things. I've done my part, so the rest now is up to the Lord. Jim, thank you for your offer to pray. Here is a question from our email inbox from Rich. He says, do you recommend reading through different versions of the Bible each year? Thanks, Rich. Rich, uh, not necessarily recommend it, but certainly nothing wrong with it. Uh, I study, and, and I think anybody who studies um, um, needs to, to, to study different versions. Uh, we need to look at, oh, since we are communicators, uh, Bible teachers, we, we need to look for the Bible versions that best communicate it. Um, but... Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I recommend reading through different versions, but certainly there's nothing at all wrong with it. Um, Paula has been reading to me of late out of the New Living Translation, and I'm really enjoying that through the New Testament. Um, but I also have read pretty extensively through um, the other versions. And you find one that you're comfortable with, one that you'll read the most. But whether or not you read every year through a different version um, is strictly a matter of preference and up to you. But but personally, I can't imagine that it would do anything but, but good. Here is a question from... Oh, here it is here. Our email inbox from Anna. And she wants to know, what is the five-fold ministry? Um, Anna, it's based on a misunderstanding of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And I'll read it for you. It's Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, 
and teachers. Now, um, if you individually count those things, there's five of them. But uh, in the language, pastor, teacher, are the same thing. Um, um, fivefold ministries, the people, the churches that that uh, are proud of being a fivefold ministry, they are, uh, are are usually charismatic to excess. Um, they they believe that apostles are still in the church today, and they 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 have men and sometimes unfortunately women who claim the title of apostle, the position of apostle. Um, they also claim that some are. There are prophets, and you know, that's why in those churches you'll have people saying, uh, I'm prophet so-and-so, thus saith the Lord, and they'll tell you what God says. Here's the problem. That just completely misunderstands the, the passage. Now, in the early church, God gave apostles. The, the writer of the book of Ephesians was an apostle. Peter was an apostle. Uh, John was an apostle, etc., etc. So it was he who gave to some men to be apostles, but that's because apostles were the cornerstone, the foundation of the early church. Let me rephrase, the cornerstone, of course, is Jesus. But apostles and prophets, Ephesians chapter 2, the same book, verse 20, and if people in Ephesus would have understood this, they're the foundation of the church. We remember these letters to the churches were written in the apostolic age. That age is over, and we know that because the Greek makes it very clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation already laid. That's what the language says. With Jesus himself being the cornerstone, if you can picture this Jesus with his right arm extended and on the right of the apostles, his left arm extended, and there are the New Testament prophets... Um, they're the foundation of the church. And then it says the church is being built on that foundation. And that's in the continuous present tense. So there are no more apostles today. There are no more prophets today. That doesn't mean there isn't the gift of prophecy. But exercising a gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet. Um, the, the, the gift of prophecy is for the edifying, the strengthening of the church. So that gift is still in existence, but there are no more apostles and there are no more prophets. So usually on a, this is in a, uh, uh, an unhealthy, um, unbalanced church, um, usually charismatic to excess, and usually not Bible teaching churches more into the emotional experience. But that's the reference. Now, having said that, there are evangelists that are being used by God to build on that foundation. There are pastors and teachers, and um, all of that is, is gifts from God to the church to build the church up on, to make it um, stronger and stronger as we wait for the return of the Lord. Let me also point to the very next verse. Because it says that their function is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. If you are in a church, Anna, where somebody says they are an apostle or a prophet, run away. Thank you for listening and thank you for the question. Here is another question that just came in from our mobile app. This one's from Jason. Uh, Matthias replaced Judas as the 12th apostle. Why is Paul considered an apostle? Is he like the unofficial 13th? Uh, No, Paul, Jason, says of his own experience that he was an apostle abnormally born. Now, nobody disputes that Paul was an apostle. Um, There are many who claim, and I believe them to be in error, but there are many who claim that Peter was in too big of a rush to replace Judas uh, and and that's why the, the lot fell to Matthias. Um, but, but, you know, before the Holy Spirit fell, it's when this happened. And Peter was using a very Jewish and Old Testament way of discerning the will of God. He also made his appeal for the lot to be cast based on what we now know is a scripture that prophesied Jesus, Judas's betrayal. 
So one must take his place, and, and it was God who was casting that lot, and Matthias certainly would have been in the group uh, upon whom the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2. Paul is an apostle because Jesus appointed him one. There are other apostles. Barnabas was an apostle. Um, did he have the same scope of ministry as Paul? The answer is no. James, the Lord's half-brother, was an apostle. So it's not just the original. There were 12 originals. Judas was replaced. But there were some other apostles uh, in the first century church, people that had very effective, very necessary um, ministries for the early church. So I hope that answers your question. Jason, one other thing. Um, You remember when John and James came to Jesus, had their mother go, actually, and said... Uh, can my sons have the place on your right hand and your left hand when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, no, those places aren't for me to give. In other words, those places are already spoken for, and my father has has made the decisions. Um, I believe with all of my heart that those two positions, um, one on Jesus' hand will be David, who in Ezekiel chapter 37, 38 is called Israel's prince in the millennium. And I think the other seat on his right or his left will be the Apostle Paul. So I, I don't think we have to worry about Paul. We know that the, the, the 12 apostles have their names on the foundation of the, the temple uh, that will be built um, um, in Jerusalem. Um, but Paul and David, I believe, have those two seats on his right and on his left that John and James asked for and were denied the permission to have. So that's just something interesting, and I believe it a lot. 340-9585 is a question that just came in on our mobile app or from our mobile app from Lewis. Why did Jesus stick around for 40 days after he rose from the dead? Is there something special about 40 days? Um, Two things. One, um, Jesus, of course, knew that the Holy Spirit was going to come on the day of Pentecost, the Jewish festival, uh, and Jesus would prepare them for that time. Uh, So, yeah, there's something very special. If you look at 40, 40 uh, is is times of testing. um, sometimes very difficult times of testing. You can read through the Old Testament uh, as well as the New. So 40 has significance. But uh, his only mission, his only mission in that 40 days was to teach those who would follow behind him. He was preparing them, a, a good shepherd. And, of course, Jesus is our good shepherd, would never leave his people ill-prepared. And so he stuck around and he taught them until it was time for him to ascend into the heavens. You know, uh, Lewis, when you ask the question about the 40 days, I'm always much more curious about the 10 days. Because Jesus told his disciples to go into Jerusalem and wait, and there the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon them. For 10 days, that had to seem like the longest 10 days in their life. What are we going to do now? I don't know. Jesus said, wait. Um, But for 10 days, they had to wait. Imagine talking about being tested. Well, that's exactly what happened in that 10 days. Would they be obedient? If they weren't obedient, they wouldn't have been in the upper room where the Holy Spirit fell. I mean, those are really, really neat things to consider. Uh, When you're in a hurry for something and when you're afraid, certainly the apostles would have been afraid, the early believers, uh, the women that travel with them as well. It would have seemed like forever to get that answer. But one day... And we never know what day it is. One day, everything changes. And Lewis, I always marvel at how quickly everything can change in an instant. So I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Philip from our email inbox. As best you can, I don't want to take up too much of your talk time on the show, Um well, let me get back to this. We got we got a caller, and I'd rather get to the caller first. Let's go to Randy from Universal City. Randy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Well, thank you. I I have come across something in the Old Testament about uh, doing a census that 
Um, God didn't want a census to be done in the time of David, and I was just wondering if you could explain to me um, what uh, what that was all about. Why would God have objected uh, in those days? Okay. I can do that, Randy. In fact, that's David's signature. Excuse me. That was uh, David's signature sin. That was the worst, the, the lowest point of time. Now, we think of a census as just counting people. But what David was doing was ordering a census be taken of his fighting men. And when he ordered his general to do it, they tried to talk him out. They knew what a sinful thing this would be. Now, here's why it was a sin. Uh, first, we know that the devil put it in David's mind to do this. That means David didn't go consult God. He didn't go to a prophet of God. He just, well, yeah, that sounds like a good thing to do. But this was a time where David was so full of himself that he forgot that all of his great victories, all of his power came from God. And this was one of those times when he was counting the fighting men. That's what the census was all about. Read the, the, the account in Second Chronicles. That gives you God's perspective. But, but as he was counting his men, he was doing it to see just how strong he was, how powerful he was. And, of course, that was the grievous sin. And that's why God's reaction to that sin was so horrible. Um, David could pick the punishment that he wanted. He chose to, to, to rest on the mercy of God. Uh, and, and he made a wise choice because finally God would call an end to it. But people died because of his mistake. Sin has consequences. Does that help, Randy? Oh, thank you very much, and God bless you. Thank you very much, Randy. Appreciate the question. Again, whenever you want to hear see God's perspective on these kinds of, especially in the, in the times of the kings, uh, the history of the kings is sort of the perspective from earth. If you want to get higher and look down, read the same stories in Chronicles. We've got five minutes left. If you have a call, we've got time to take it. Let me go to the question that I had here a moment ago. This is from Philip from our email inbox. As best you can, please summarize how we got from 12 disciples to the hundreds of followers and witnesses going out in the world to church building, pastors, and congregations. Was Peter really the first pastor-priest? Were the other apostles pastor-priests for their own churches? And it all started there. Uh, Philip, let let me start from the back because it's easier. The apostles were sent out uh, with the message of, of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. They were given by God miraculous power to validate the, the veracity of their messages. And the power to do these signs was there uh, simply to, to say, this is the messenger that comes from God. Now, we only have some of the apostles and their stories, but we know, for instance, that, that the apostle Thomas went to India and had a wonderful, fruitful ministry there. Um, the, the gospel was taken into into the Far East uh, by him. But, but there were other apostles that were sent out to other areas because they were simply doing what Jesus told them to do. Now, when they would go out into these places, um, they weren't the pastor, but they would raise up the pastors of these churches. Uh, one of the real values that we have of the, the uh, book of Acts, read in conjunction with the epistles of Paul, is that we can see uh, sort of how the churches were built. Paul would go into an area like Corinth. You can read in Acts chapter 18. Uh, he would share the gospel, people would get saved, and then with, from their own number, he would raise up uh, pastors and overseers. Um, we know, for example, that the little treasure Philemon was a book written to a pastor in the church of Colossae. Um, and, and so Paul addresses him. He was a man who would have been raised up under Paul's uh, ministry. But, but again, to, to establish a church, um, then, then the, the next job would be to build a church. Timothy, he said, of Ephesus, go back and make sure that you finish the job of, of appointing overseers, elders, or we call them pastors, in the churches. So uh, that's how it happened. Now, how we got from houses... To buildings is just a natural progression and evolution of our faith. You know, when somebody had a house, as Philemon had a house, he had a house church, there would be a lot of house churches in Colossae. But when people began to gather 
in 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 larger numbers it, it became necessary and prudent to build bigger buildings so that's how we got to bigger buildings and having people come to one place uh, it's an opportunity to minister with one another but to minister to one another it's an opportunity to use your gifts so the way we do church and the location of church is based on the model of the book of acts all we do is enlarge it um Things change. Times change. So, Philip, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, but but we still have evangelists going out in the world. Um, we send pastors out to plant churches other places. Uh, our little church, we've, we've planted 27 or 28 churches uh, in our 23 and a half or so years here. Um, and, and we send the people out. God builds the church. So I hope that makes sense to you, Philip. Thank you for the question and being concerned. We've got one more question that came in. Let me see if i got enough time for it. Uh, this is anonymous from our mobile app. Did God fail in his design of humans? It seems like he admitted that by destroying his creation and starting over, and of course God saw his creation fail once more, therefore God's creation was not good nor very good. Uh, it was when he did it. Um, anonymous and see here's the problem when we blame God for the mistakes man made God made us perfect and he saw that it was not only good it was very good Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 um, indicates that it's the best thing we humans are the best thing God ever did but he also had to give us free will it, it's not it wasn't an option for him to make us robots who walked around doing well he gave us free will And we are the ones who blew it. So God's creation was perfect. We ruined it. He redeemed it. Praise God for that. Thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back on AM 630, The Word, at 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.